Great. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Dan. Uh, I'm one of our leaders here. Uh, it's a privilege and a joy to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, why don't I just pray and then we will jump in together. Yeah, Father God, we thank you that we get to meet with you this morning. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love for each of us, Lord. And we pray by your spirit, uh, open our hearts to, to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We welcome you by your spirit uh, to speak to each of us. Uh, Lord, take my words and speak directly to each of us this morning with what you want us to hear. In your mighty name. Amen. Great. So before we jump into our next uh, chapter of John uh, and continue our series looking at this amazing gospel, uh, I love it. It's, it's just a really good gospel. Uh, I want us to consider two questions first. And these relate to some of the foundational realities of what it means to be human. So first question, to what extent does the approval of other people drive what you do every day? To what extent does the approval of others drive what you do or impact your decisions? Big question, hard question. Just maybe keep that and ponder on it as we go through this passage today. Secondly, what do you, what do you want people to believe about you? Or how does the keeping up of appearances affect what you do? So at one level, how does wanting the approval of others affect you? And at another, the image you want to project, how does that inform just basic decisions that we all make in life? A couple of examples. Maybe when you buy a book, if you still buy those physical hard copy things. Uh, One of the first things you might do is turn over and look at the back, see who's endorsed it. Or maybe with online purchases, you're... Uh, going down to the review section at the bottom to see what other people say about it. Then you get the power of social media with a like, an image. We're always trying to present something to the world. Or consider the fact that you stood before your wardrobe this morning and made decisions about what you were going to wear. We all did it. For some cases, it was what was comfortable and maybe fit well. But maybe in other cases, quite likely in other cases, it was kind of what's cool or what you think is going to give a good impression. Or maybe even, if I dare say, it's suitable for church. Maybe you have things in your wardrobe that you choose because of the image that it portrays. We make decisions based on the opinion of others all the time. As I said, social media shines a bright spotlight on it. Our pictures, our posts, our comments, our likes, our retweets, they're embedded with the good, but also the bad of two things, approval and appearances. And these are fundamental to our humanity. In some aspects, there is something good about it, but in others, there is something tragically wrong with it. The fuel for much of our daily life is what people think of us, and what we want them to think of us. And this gravitational pull is potentially, or it is, problematic when it comes to considering who Jesus is and what it means to believe in him. The aim of the book of John, as we've heard throughout this series, is to show us what Jesus does and says. 
so that we can believe in him and have life in his name. We've read this verse a few times. It's from John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life. Everything John records in, has, kind of, has this goal in mind. From multiple stories, angles, interactions with people, and even through to his death and resurrection account, John's aim in this gospel is to convince you, to convince us to believe. He has already shown us a number of barriers or things that we may have to turn from for belief in Jesus to be real. But our passage today in John chapter 7, we're looking at verses 1 to 24, takes two stories in two different scenarios with two groups of people, but I'd argue with the same root problem. And that issue is the issue that John is trying to get, over, get to us over and over again. The problem of a lack of belief, our unbelief. What John is going to do is link these two stories, link these two interactions with Jesus. One about the brothers of Jesus and one about the Jews attending a feast. He is first going to show you the problem of seeking approval from the world. And then he is going to show you the, the problem of keeping up appearances. Through these things, he will help us see that the approval of the world and the appearance that you want to present to people often serve, as I'm sure you're aware, as huge barriers to belief. In other words, there are some of you who don't yet believe in Jesus because you're trying to pull the data. You're trying to figure out what those around you think. Or you're worried about what it communicates if you say you're a follower of Jesus. And for those of you who are following Jesus, the problem of unbelief doesn't go away. Every week, we, we face temptations. I face temptations. Am I going to do that because of what others think? Am I going to do this because of what I present? Or am I going to do this because I'm living for the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone? That is what this passage is actually all about. The way in which Jesus penetrates the issue of approval and how he obliterates the tensions of keeping up appearances. So let me show you this in the passage. We're going to read it uh, through and then we'll kind of work through it together. Uh, at face value, it's not always obvious. It's actually uh, as we dig into it. But let me read it through and then we'll come back. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to pull it up. Uh, the verses will also be on the screen. So John chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 24. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there, there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, for that your disciples there will, may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. 
However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. And now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet no one of you, sorry, yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Great. So verses one to nine record, if we kind of think back to the start of that passage, record this interesting conversation between Jesus and his brothers. Uh, And I guess just to point out, after Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, Mary and Joseph had children, and their names according to a couple of Gospels, but in Matthew chapter 13, we hear it's Joseph, uh, Judas, Simon, and James. Uh, And the last name James is kind of really important. We learn lots about him. He will eventually become the leader of the whole church of Jerusalem and will write the New Testament book that bears his name, a major influencer in the early church. So according to verse 1, Jesus remained in Galilee, the current place where his family were living. And he was not inclined to travel to Judah and Jerusalem because we hear his life was in danger. There were people seeking to kill him. And the reason for that is because previously we'd heard that Jesus had healed somebody on the Sabbath, which they weren't happy about. And that's probably an understatement. But then verse 2 says something important. It sets up this controversy between Jesus and his brothers. Uh, John mentions uh, the Festival of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths. And there are a number of things you need to know about this festival. This was one of the three Jewish feasts that kind of brought thousands of people to Jerusalem. It celebrated the harvest and the wilderness wanderings that we read about in the Old Testament and the way God had provided for his people. What would happen is that if you lived in the country, you would come to this city and set up a booth. Think of it a bit like a tent, which people lived in during the week-long festival. So if you're a camper, just know you're godly. There was a whole festival designed to facilitate living outdoors. And if you already lived in this city, you would erect a little tent, maybe on your roof or behind your house. 
And the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths ended with a large gathering on the eighth day with a water drawing and a light lantern ceremony. Needless to say, this festival was a major event in the life of the nation. Thousands of people would have been pouring into this city. And therefore, the brothers of Jesus came to him with an idea. And we read this in verse 3. Jesus, you should travel to Jerusalem and make yourself known to the crowds so that they may see your works. Then they offer this logic for that. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. There are thousands of people you should go make good use of the opportunity, they say. Let's just ponder for a moment what maybe made them say this. And we'll get to the ultimate reason in a minute. But you could imagine one of the following reasons. So firstly, maybe Jesus just lost many of his followers. We read in the previous chapter, in chapter 6, which Jack so helpfully unpacked uh, two weeks ago, uh, that lots of people stopped following Jesus. Perhaps this was a way to win them back. It would be logical and strategic to capitalize on the opportunity in Jerusalem. Maybe the brothers of Jesus had been frustrated with Jesus' inconsistent methodology. He attracts crowds and then sends them away. Here, there is an opportunity where he could attract people, influence the culture, and have a massive impact. It just makes sense. Or perhaps it was making their life and family situation difficult. Maybe they wanted him to go all in with his ministry, since to them, maybe it just didn't really feel like that. His brothers are suggesting that in order for Jesus to accomplish his mission, he needs to do something to gain the approval of the masses. They've seen the miracles that he is doing. Jesus has power. The crowds follow him. And they know how the world works. Approval and mass appeal are the way you change the world. Go for it, Jesus. And this could launch Jesus' ministry. According to the world, that's how it works. This makes complete sense from a human perspective. Now, if the text had stopped there, you might think that Jesus' brothers are on board. And to some extent, they are. They think they are. But they've just, they're just totally missing the point. They're giving him advice, encouraging him to go. But as we keep reading, verse 5 tells us what is going on at a deeper level. It says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. According to John, the ultimate problem for the brothers of Jesus was unbelief. They did not believe in him. As wise and encouraging as their words may have been from a worldly, human perspective, it was actually a sign of their unbelief. It comes out of a place of not trusting and believing in him. Their own brother, they were some of the ones that would have known him best, would have been alongside him lots, alongside the twelve. For John wants us to see that our unbelief can hide, can hide underneath our pragmatism. Everyone knows this is how it works. If the masses don't believe in you, you are not going to change the world. Little do his brothers know that Jesus is going to change the world by dying alone. This is the backwards way that Jesus works. He takes what humans would normally consider success and flips it on its head in order to confront worldly wisdom and humble us and remind us over and over again that human ways don't work. 
Uh, unbelief can also hide underneath our fear of each other. Will other people approve? What happens if they don't? Will our world crumble around us? Or our risk of fear, our fear, fear of risk. Who else is going? Am I going to stand out? Is this what I should be doing? And any number of other approval issues. But underneath the issue of approval is the real issue of lack of belief. Jesus responds by telling them about their overconnectedness to the world. He tells them that they are part of the unbelief that characterizes everything about the culture. Jesus says, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Their lack of belief causes them to not know the right time or the right way for Jesus to make himself known. Jesus sees the world differently than his disciples their lack of belief causes them to see the world through the wrong lens. They think in a way that doesn't fit with his plans. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Jesus just goes another level deeper again. Jesus tells his brothers that the world doesn't hate them. The world hates Jesus because he testifies that its works are evil. Jesus and his brothers have a very different approach to dealing with the world. In other words, he is telling them that they are part of this broken system of the world. And as right as their advice seems, in the moment, it is actually wrong and a symptom of their unbelief. Another question. Can you think of a time in your life where a step of faith that you took, that at the time made no sense to those around you, Last weekend, we spent time talking about giving and generosity. Generosity makes no sense. It makes no sense that we'd raise, raise over £100,000 to enable us to continue sowing into the kingdom in this area and using this space as a base for mission. It makes no sense that so many of you would have given so generously into something that doesn't give you any personal glory. In the world's eyes, it makes no sense. But it's because you've grasped it. You've grasped that it's not what others think that matters. You'll go beyond the social norms and the way of the world and put your trust in what he is doing and his plans. So thank you, because you've grasped it. You've grasped that this is something so much bigger. It could be that maybe you've left a job to give your time to something you feel God has led you to, and your ex-colleagues just don't get why you'd want to do that. It could be you've moved location to follow God's calling and it just doesn't make sense to those around you when you seem so happy where you were. It could be a decision like Will and Lucy where they've pulled their kids out of school and gone to India to serve and follow God's call on their life, which to so many just seems completely bonkers. Many of these things are totally crazy to the world. They don't follow the way you should do things. I'm sure many of you have examples of going against the world's ways to follow God's callings and plans. So jumping back to the passage, so the result of this conversation between Jesus and his brothers is that Jesus initially stays back in Galilee as his brothers go to the festival. Jesus says in verse 8, I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus' life is not driven by an earthly agenda, but by a heavenly one. 
Jesus is not living for the approval of men and women, but for the approval of God. The brothers craved the approval of Jesus, and so they brought their unbelief into a marketing strategy, a political strategy. This is the way you're going to change the world. How tempting it is. Not everything that comes out of the world system is wrong, but what we need to be reminded of is that if our trust is in the way that the world works, we can easily be guilty of unbelief. We'll come back to this a bit at the end, but I want to say two things at this point as we kind of sum up this first part of the passage. First, if you're not yet a Christian, you don't follow Jesus, this text is specifically written with you in mind. John is trying to lay before you the call to believe, and he is showing you a barrier to you doing that. It's important for you to know that coming to Jesus involves faith in him, which means you stop putting your faith in others or in their approval. There comes a point when the calculating, the polling, the the researching needs to stop. You need to walk away from the approval of others and say, I'm choosing to trust in the approval of Jesus, no matter what others around you may think of that. That walk is how you become a Christian, turning and choosing to accept the approval of Jesus. His love for you is deep. His approval for you isn't based on what you've done, but it's fully based on what he has done to rescue you. He is saying, come to me, daughter. Come to me, son. I love you. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I kind of want to give you a warning at this point. Even after you put your faith in Christ, the approval of others can still rule you. It can take many different forms and nuanced expressions. Kind of, this is how the world works. Will other people approve? Who else is involved? Why do I have to be the only person who stands out? These are questions that can so easily lead us down the wrong path, even after we have come to Christ. And in these moments, in these questions that you're having most likely every day, you have a decision to make. Am I going to fall into unbelief or am I going to believe that Jesus is ruler of my life? He is the only one I need to love me and approve uh, me. And he does that. Put the approval of others aside and trust in Jesus. So the second half of this passage kind of takes a different turn. We go on to a totally different, different group of people. And we get to see this kind of second expression of unbelief. It's connected to the way the Jews understood the meaning of righteousness. There was a religious system that created an appearance of godliness, but it missed the mark. In verses 10 to 13, we learn that Jesus does, in fact, go to the festival, uh, the feast. However, he doesn't go up with his brothers Jesus went to the festival privately, and John tells us that Jesus was already creating a stir in the city. People were looking for him. There was a debate regarding whether Jesus was a good man or not. So there is this controversy going on in the midst of one of the most important religious festivals in the year. Jesus was controversial, but people were not speaking openly about him. So lots of muttering and private conversations were going on. And according to verse 14, halfway through the feast, Jesus went to the temple and started teaching. 
And what's interesting here is that we don't actually have an account of exactly what Jesus taught in the temple. The section is a lot less about what Jesus taught, but more about the effect of Jesus' teaching. John's point in this paragraph is the unbelief on the part of the Jews. They marveled, in verse 15 we see it, the authority of Jesus' teaching because he had never studied The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? The crowd was stunned because Jesus didn't study in one of the well-known schools, nor was he a disciple of a famous rabbi. Where you went to school and who who you trained under gave you authority in the eyes of the people. But Jesus breaks that mold. He breaks the culture. He's more than what he appears. Then Jesus explains his authority. He says three things in the following three verses. In verse 16, he talks about Jesus' teaching. His teachings derived from his relationship with the Father. It wasn't his own. And notice the reflection that Jesus will embrace. He won't talk about himself. But by saying, it isn't mine, it is my Father. The thing about Jesus that you're going to see is that he isn't full of self-glory. He aims to glorify the Father. Everything about his life is for the glory of someone else. What John wants us to see is everything about the world system is about the glory of me, you. Something that takes the shape of the approval of others, and sometimes that takes a shape in religious systems to keep up appearances. In verse 17, we, get, uh, we see that those who know God's will will know the basis of his teaching. You don't know you don't understand because your will is broken is what he's saying then 18 we get unlike proud teachers who establish their authority jesus speaks for the glory of god jesus is saying there is a difference between me and you you use your own authority talking to the jewish leaders here to speak of your own glory but i am seeking the glory of him who sent me and therefore what i am telling you is true The brothers wanted the self-exaltation that came from the approval of the crowds. The Jerusalem crowd here needed the self-exaltation that came with the appearance of obedience. They didn't like this non-trained teacher from Galilee pressing into the pretense of their religious observance and obedience. And Jesus presses them directly in verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. He is talking to the most religious people of that day at one of the most religious festivals of the calendar year, and he has the audacity to tell them that they don't keep the law. Thousands of Jews were gathered in the holy city. Countless sacrifices were offered. They were honoring the provision of God during the wilderness wanderings, and yet Jesus took them to task because they were not pursuing true obedience they attended the festival but they were not interested in true righteousness you can see this can't you people keeping up appearances by participating in a festival with their hearts far from god people gathering in god's presence who are more concerned about being at the right event than about having the right heart people who are more concerned with what other people think of them than what god thinks Nobody is here this morning because they were worried that people wouldn't notice, that would notice they weren't here, are they? 
Don't worry, you don't need to answer that. And nobody sang the song To God Be The Glory, by the way, great song, thank you, while at the same time questioning what others around them might have been thinking about them, right? The challenge with established religion and the challenge even with our gathering here today is that we can use the thing that is supposed to help us draw us to God instead to project righteousness to others. We can use our knowledge of the Bible not as a means to deepen our relationship with God, but to impress people with your knowledge of verses. We miss the whole point if we're here to impress others or make a good impression or make sure we keep up our appearances of doing the right thing. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And these problems all come back to that point. And in response to the objection of the Jews, Jesus said to said in John 5, uh, earlier on, in chapter 5, verse 44, he said, How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What's the core of their problem of unbelief? It's glory from one another. Glory from one another. They use their interpretation of the Old Testament law to make each other feel better about themselves. They develop strict laws beyond the intent of the scriptures to create the perception of righteousness. And Jesus is speaking, Jesus is speaking to a problem that exists in his day, but it exists in ours too. It's the trap of self-righteousness. In order for self-righteousness to thrive, it needs two things at its fuel. It needs other people for them to look down upon. It needs other people to look at you and go, wow, I think you are righteous. You need other people to think you are righteous for it to work. You need people who are less righteous for comparison. You need people who treat you like you are righteous when you know you aren't. What happens in this context is that Jesus is going after their need, not just for approval, but their need for keeping up appearances of righteousness. So the brothers wanted the crowds for approval, and the Jews needed the crowds for appearances. And then when Jesus suggests that they are seeking to kill him, they accuse him of having a demon. And then Jesus answers them directly about their response to his last miracle when he heals. He takes them back there. Listen to Jesus' words. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? They are willing to bring one part of the body into a spiritual purity through circumcision, but they are upset that an entire man was healed on the Sabbath. In John 5, where we read about this miracle, we see that they are more concerned that there's a man carrying his mat on the Sabbath, which, which isn't allowed, than they were the fact that he was healed. They want to know where Jesus gets his authority rather than believe he really is the Son of God. They seem to think, we can't have people carrying their beds on the Sabbath. We need to know where this man is getting his teaching from. And they miss that a man has been healed and that what Jesus said is true. All they see is that he's carrying his bed. They are totally missing the point. Their whole system of righteousness, 
falls apart. If that collapses, they have nothing to look down on other people and there's no way to feel good about themselves. If this kind of thing keeps going, then they are worried they have nothing to feel righteous about. They are so concerned about the external issues that the Sabbath was being broken that they are missing everything. And that is why John ends this paragraph with a stunning statement by Jesus. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So why is Jesus so controversial? He's controversial because he presses in on the Achilles heel of pride. The pride, first of all, that if you are really going to change the world, you need to do things that you need to do things differently to how the world works. There are massive numbers of people over in Jerusalem. So stop staying here. Go and make a big impact, is what his brothers are saying. If you want to change the world, do what people are supposed to do. Go to Jerusalem and make yourself known. That is the way you're supposed to do it. And Jesus says, that's unbelief. The religious establishment says, you can't be healing people on the Sabbath. You are not allowed to do that. You don't have any authority. You can't do it. And who gave you your teaching? Who gave you authority? And they have no idea that standing right in front of them is the Son of God, Jesus. And their whole system of how they understand everything is going to be blown up right in front of them because they don't understand what Jesus is about, which is about taking the issue of pride and kicking it out. What John wants us to see is that underneath the approval of others and underneath the appearances we want to project to others is the issue of a lack of belief. With the brothers, it looked like the fame and approval of the crowd, and with the Jews, it was their passion for appearances. What might it be? you. So let me apply this directly to those of us who are Christians and those who are not yet uh, by giving both of you a warning and pointing you to the wonder of Jesus. So be careful when the pragmatism of what works by worldly and cultural standards starts to affect your approach to Christianity. Just because it's how the world works doesn't mean that it's how it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that everything in the world is wrong. Please don't hear that. But if, you, if we were honest, that the world can become our cross and we can spend more time thinking about the way it is done rather than getting on our knees and being desperate to know what God wants. Check yourself on how much you are allowing the approval of people who don't know Jesus to dictate your life. But also be careful that you do not allow some religious system to become the crutch upon which you prop up an image of being a religious person. Be mindful that keeping up appearances is exhausting. It doesn't work and it drives people away. So what's the solution? The solution is to be filled with the wonder at how Jesus gives you all the approval you'll ever need. You don't need to keep up appearances when you've been captured by his grace. Be filled with the wonder at how Jesus gives you all the approval you'll ever need. You don't need to keep up appearances when you've been captured by his grace. Rather than being offended by Jesus' words, none of you keeps the law. Embrace it. 
we all mess up. When you mess up with something at work or when your child starts screaming in public and you're concerned about what other people think or you do that thing you've been trying so hard not to do, remember, you aren't perfect, but you know his grace. You know his forgiveness. You know his approval. And that will never change. You need to preach the gospel to your heart over and over again. And when you attempt to fall back into the approval of others or when something challenges your desire to keep appearances, embrace the finished work of Jesus. Remember, he has the words of life. He's good. And to those of you still on a journey of believing in Jesus, let me invite you to consider the implications of what it looks like for you to enter into this passage Be careful because the enemy loves to keep people trapped outside of Christ because of their fear of what other people would think or what it would mean for you to become a follower of Jesus. Coming to faith in Christ means looking to Jesus and finding your approval in him. It means giving up the appearance that you are a perfect person. It also means not justifying your lack of belief because of the shortcomings of other people. Look to Jesus, who is able to grant you forgiveness, bring wholeness to your soul, and give you the hope we all so desperately need. You'll never find the approval you want, nor will you be able to keep up the appearances you think you need without him. The brothers didn't see it because they wanted the approval of the world. The Jews didn't see it because they were worried about their religious system. They were worried about their appearances. And until people get over the approval of the world and the appearance of what they communicate, they'll never, you'll never come to faith in Christ. And that is what John's message is. He writes these things so that you can see who he is, so that you can believe and put your trust in him. Our only hope is in Jesus, who is able to cleanse us so we are fully approved, fully approved before God, and change us so that we have a new identity in Christ. The answer to our prideful desire for approval and keeping up appearances is Jesus. Be filled with wonder at how Jesus gives you all of the approval you'll ever need. And remember, you don't need to keep up appearances when you've been captured by his grace. So shall we pray? I'll invite Faye up. Why don't we just all take a moment, a minute to talk to God and reflect on approval and appearances. Reflect on your heart, how much you're seeking approval of others, how much you're portraying appearances and ask God to draw you to him and ask him to help you overcome these challenges. Only you know where your heart is at this morning. Talk to God. Come before him. Let's spend just a minute individually doing that, then I'll pray, and then we'll respond by giving God the glory because it's all about him and coming before him in wonder. So let's take a minute.
Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to make a way for us to be in relationship with you. Thank you that we can come to you in wonder and amazement. And Lord, we thank you that we don't need to be concerned about the approval of others, the appearances that we're giving. Lord, by your Spirit, help us. We know this is a daily challenge. It's part of who we are as humans. It's part of our culture, Lord. But help us by your Spirit, Lord, to only seek your approval. Lord, help us not to live lives that are making appearances matter, Lord. It's our relationship with you that matters. So draw us into your presence, Lord. Draw us closer to you. Help us to see your beauty. Help us to gaze at your face, Lord. Draw us closer to you, Lord, we pray. In your mighty name. Amen. We've got 10 minutes.